Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm here with Shannon Malloy to talk about his new book, 14. Thanks so much for joining us, Shannon. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting to have you here. I finished I finished the book a couple of days ago. Um, it was quite an experience reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved it, though. Oh, and good. I can't wait for other people to read it. And I think um, people will be really interested to hear your, your take on it because um, it covers one year in your life and it's very structured and although you do get a little snapshot at the end of, of how you've been so far it's nice to see you in the flesh and realize yeah. you're okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm okay i survived that year that's right um in the, the the sort of marketing bump for the book it's described as puberty blues meets wake and fright how do you feel about that as an explanation for the book? Oh, um, it's it's also been described as this generation's holding the man, which makes me a little nervous because um, yeah. that's obviously such an iconic book for so many people. Um, it's nice though; it's flattering. I suppose it's it's that sort of coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it's quite nostalgic as well, um, particularly if you're into late '90s, early 2000s trashy pop. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a story about me finding myself in a pretty uh, inhospitable world and uh, and the results of that, which were often pretty horrific. Mm. Uh, one of the things that grabbed me in the book as I was reading was your, at one point you just talking about the concept of homophobia as being a fear of, uh, uh, of homosexuality, I guess. Um, and you say that the word or the concept has always been insufficient to your experience yeah. of what it is describing that the idea of it's just a matter of people that are afraid of you and i remember feeling the same way that people would say that oh it's just that they're afraid and that never seemed sufficient and your description of it just seemed spot on that no it's not fear it's mm. rage yeah and i wondered and that rage permeates this book so i wondered if you could talk a little bit about that experience and yeah. how you wove it into the book and i think it's and revisiting this period has sort of solidified it. It was, I didn't know what I really was. I knew I was different. Um, But one thing that was always abundantly clear to me, even from an early age, was that people hated me or hated what I appeared to be or what they suspected I was. And that's a really unsettling thing to sit with when you're a young person, Um, particularly when you're confused about yourself uh, and what that means for the rest of your life. Um, And it was, you know, the book deals with everything from, uh, you know, emotional torment and and taunting and bullying through to some pretty physical um, and awful experiences. But it was, you know, it was in the glances of people in the street. It was in the the offhanded remarks from teachers. It was in teachers seeing me being tormented and turning a blind eye. Um, That's where it was present, not just in being bashed behind the school building um, by some bullies who were really overt in it. Um, And so I, uh, yeah, I knew what rage was before I knew what love was, I think, Um, which is kind of sad. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It is devastating though. And I think, I, I mean, I think one of the things that really struck me in the book is what you say, there are these moments of, violence and violation that are just horrific but in some ways what stayed with me is how much the adults in the book failed you and there's a part of me um, that experiences that as a flashback to my own experience but also for my son who's four years old and worried about how the how the world will treat him yeah Um, those adults you know you have 
teachers, I mean, the inciting incident of the whole book was caused at least in part by a teacher. Mm -hmm. And then you have the school counsellor and doctors and various other people. How You look back on that now, surely, with your own rage, I imagine. Definitely. Um, and I think if I can give you some hope for, for yourself and for anyone else listening, is that the world is much more accountable now than it was then. The internet was kind of in, in its infancy and, and we didn't really know how to use it. Um, and it was a small town where things like that just sort of flew under the radar or were tolerated. Um, and also we were less, I, I think and hope, we were less um, open-minded and knowledgeable about the broader world because we were sort of more insulated from it. Um, mm. And so hopefully things have changed. But no, I do. I reflect on on a lot of the experiences, particularly um, the ones that teachers played a role in, these people that are, are sort of educated to educate and to, to nourish the next generation of people. They were complicit in a lot of this. Um, and some of them even seemed a little bit sort of gleeful to be involved in it. Um, and that is very unsettling. Uh, I, I hope that teachers these days are much different I'm sure they are um, and I and I hope that my experience wasn't universal amongst teachers or their views weren't at least um, yeah but no I do I am angry when I think about a lot of those experiences mm. um, but I, I am when I think of other um, experiences like the debate that we had to have around marriage equality or the really toxic debate about the Safe Schools program, which at its heart just wanted to keep kids safe and keep them alive. Um, and so the things that were being said during that time upset me as an adult, but then I wondered what 14-year-old me would have felt hearing them and seeing, and seeing those things, and that's part of why I wrote this book. And how 14-year-old you might have been saved by something like the Safe Schools yeah. program yeah. and having access to something like that as you... Well, I won't spoil anything. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, you know, I think I, – I do think that's quite interesting. Um, your – I don't want to give readers the impression that this is just a devastatingly dark book because it's actually <laughs> <Thank you>. not. <laughs> I, <laughs> there, I are, like there are some we, elements. We started off – there's yeah. definitely some dark <laughs> moments in the book and it's a dark topic. But the thing that struck me again and again is how often your lovely family – they do come yeah. across like absolutely wonderful people and the, your friends and how they sort of protected you and supported you in ways, even when you weren't, you didn't know what you were and you didn't know how, the, yeah. how you needed to be helped. Um, how have, how did you approach writing your family? Um, it was really hard. It's uh, when I wrote this book, um, most of what's in it was a total surprise to my mum, who's, you know, I sound like such a mummy's boy when I say <laughs> this, but my mum is my best friend and, um, and this book is kind of an unofficial love letter to her, um, purely because of the unquestioned support that she provided me in that year, um, uh, and so writing about her and, and writing her as a character was a really surreal experience. Um, but I went back and looked at a lot of photos from the era and tried to remember little things like being in her hairdressing salon and this crazy coloured lino floor that she had and these weird mirrors that were sort of cut to look like Jester's hats and, um, and put myself back in her salon after school, making her endless cups of coffee, you know, milk in before the water, she would always tell me, even though I'd made them since I was six. Um, and that kind of gave me her spirit and her colour. Um, and that's that's how I tried to write her as, um, 
you know, a mum who sacrificed everything for her kids and um, and would do so happily and willingly. Mm. I particularly, as I'm one of four boys, so my experience of reading you, your relationship with your brothers is really interesting. I'm the oldest, but I loved the experience of reading about particularly your co- brother closest to you in age, yeah, um, Brett, who protected you in this bluff blokey way yeah but but still unquestioningly yeah yeah. and i i i don't know what my question really is except for how wonderful is he yeah absolutely (laughs) and they're still wonderful they still treat me like i'm a a child and they're very protective and you know if i don't know i think i was in my 20s and working casually while at uni and you know this chef in a kitchen that I worked in as a waiter was really mean and and my eldest brother, you know, we had to stop him from getting in the car and driving eight hours so he could have a word to this bloke about being, (laughs) being nasty to me. So they're still super protective and, Mm. and super lovely. And and we're very, very close. And, and my favorite times in the world, no matter what I'm doing and how wonderful my life is, is going home and being with uh, my three siblings, my two brothers and my sister. Um, they've always been my biggest cheerleaders and very protective, but also very um, proud and, mm. and yeah. And I really, th- I think it is that, that light in the darkness that makes this book work yeah. as, a, as a complete story, because I think it would be unrelenting. And if you if you hadn't had yeah. that, and and it just really strongly comes through that um, people had your back, but um, so mixing these two sides together, the the sort of the adults who failed you and the family that protected you, how did you approach the sort of legal component of this book? <laughs> uh, so yes, a lot of a lot of characters. Basically, anyone who comes across poorly in this book, um, a great deal has been changed about them so that they're not easily recognizable Mm. um i have looked for some of the bullies and and have found them and you know hopefully they've changed i'm sure they've changed um but a lot of these people now given given our age have kids and uh they're married and they have you know great jobs and whatever and i the last thing i want to do is is ruin anyone's life um particularly with the teachers i hope that with the benefit of of time and hindsight they've changed as well um but yeah a lot of uh, Due to, to legal reasons, some descriptions have been altered and names changed and the class that I was in is different now in the book. And mm. so anyone, yeah. They, they're not necessarily good. But they I, I just hope that there are some people in that do recognise themselves in this book. Yeah. Uh, even if no one else can recognise them yeah. and, and see. A bit of reflection, maybe. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. For your sake. Yeah. For, for, for any <laughs> for other For everyone's kids sake. Sex. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked a little bit about schools in general and and the safe schools um you know program but your school that you went to catholic boys school in a small town yeah good times yeah good (laughs) yeah um what what do you what's your feeling now looking back on the idea of both boys schools and religious schools oh it's i mean you only need to look at news in recent months from another all-boys private Catholic school that is just in all sorts of strife for a number of reasons, being their sort of hyper-masculine culture that they protect and and sort of almost nourish in some ways and the ramifications that that has for the students as well as the broader community. And then also this, on the flip side, this sort of sense of protecting institutions in, in this case being 
a teacher had acted inappropriately and that was ignored. So there are still huge issues with both boys' schools and religious schools in in so much as the fact that when those priorities are placed on, on a higher pedestal than the welfare of students and and building productive, well-rounded, empathetic, socially responsible members of society, then I think you have real problems. Um, I'm not against Catholic schools or religious schools or boys' schools um, per se, but you know, you, you have a responsibility as educators to to raise good members of the next generation. Um, and I think in my case and in a number of cases, both recent and historic, um, that has that has failed. Mm. That Yeah, I agree. And it, it's really interesting um, how it's compounded by the fact that it is such a small town. Yeah. And the sort of trauma of small towns in general. And I feel like that is a almost Yapoon is almost a character in this book. Yes. Uh, but which I love but writing. Doesn't, doesn't have legal defense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I feel really bad. Um, I feel really uh, a couple of mates still live in Yapoon and and they say that it's changed. It's very cosmopolitan now and and that things have improved and and I'm sure that's the case and I haven't been back in about 10 years so I couldn't say um, but I just want to be really clear that this was this was my experience in time of Yapoon. I'm sure it's a lovely place if anyone wants to visit. Um, and they do have a McDonald's now. Uh, unlike in the year that, that this book represents, when we were desperate for a McDonald's and it never, ever came. It has come. Yes. KFC. There was a KFC. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I was struck by one of the lines in the book. Um, you said, I became there something to do, which I think is something... I recall from my own experiences and I just rang really true for me this idea of particularly boys in small towns who have too much energy, too much anger and just they're looking around for something yeah. and that's and what they find is up other people. Yeah, an easy target or yeah. something that's different. Yeah. How do you feel about that now? Do you do you feel like there's any any real changes in I feel like a lot has changed um, for people like us in the past 10 years. Mm. And yet I can't help but feel it's unevenly distributed across the country. Oh, absolutely. And I wonder if people in small towns really, I mean, I think the institutions have gotten better, but I wonder if you feel like there are still little Shannons out there yeah. still feeling the same way. I'm sure of it. You only need to look at the statistics and, and I, I, I don't want to get too heavy, but the statistics on, on suicide attempts amongst LGB kids are six times higher than the general population. For trans kids, it's double that number. Um, that's that's a horrific statistic that is not getting better with time. In fact, it's getting worse. Um, and you're right to be a to be a kid that's different in the regions would be extremely difficult. Um, and we know that it is because mental health services are are in greater demand in non-metropolitan areas for young people, which is why things like Headspace are so successful outside cities because they're desperately needed. Um, so I think it is still a case that if you're different, you are the thing to do in a small town because there's not much else to do. Mm. Um, it's, you know, the, the experiences aren't as rich, the opportunities aren't as um, deep as they would be in a city. Having said that, I'm sure that there are suburbs in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane that are very hard to live in as a kid who's different. Mm. And whatever that different may be. Absolutely. And I think you, you managed to be quite honest 
in your depiction of that, even um, a bit introspective for your own, the, your, the way you did that as well, I guess, to a certain extent with the character of Jonathan. Yeah. And, and how you ex- sort of pushed the same shame or at least the same exclusion that you were experiencing. And I, I definitely remember that feeling. Uh, did you, how were you able to access did you find it difficult to access that? Really? It was the hardest part of the book to write. Yeah. Um, actually, sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, I couldn't. No, it's um, there's uh, there's a great deal of guilt there for um, sorry, uh, for yeah. He was he was another clearly gay kid that um, you know for all of their wisdom, the, the school thought that I could benefit from being friends with, and. Of course, the exact opposite happened, which was that it, it made me a greater target. Um, it made him a greater target as well, but he had this really wonderful quality of just not giving a shit what anyone thought about him. Um, and I was extremely jealous of that. But um, but the thing that I'm most um, regretful and, and feel enormous guilt about is how awful I was to him because I, I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want... I just wanted to disappear and uh, and that's that's not what happened when I was paired with him as my school buddy um but that that was yes seeing elements of the people who made my life really difficult in myself um in retrospect was was a very difficult exercise and something that um obviously it's still not sitting super well with me now um but yeah you showed extreme restraint in writing that stuff i think because i think the temptation would be for you to over explain that behavior from the present day and try and mm. put yourself into context but you didn't you allowed that to just be your you as, at 14 being yeah. yourself and flawed like everyone mm. is yeah a little a little well <laughs> a lot flawed perhaps i don't know um but no yes that was yeah that, and, and that everyone essentially exists on that continuum of yeah um you know, shame and, and hate. <laughs> it's, it's a potent combination. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I, I feel like I could talk to you. F- Likewise. <laughs> for, this forever. is great fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the book, and I, but I really want people to go away from this feeling like there is some light. Yes. And, you know, this is an extremely funny book at times as well. Particularly, I think, when you access that rich vein of sort of early 2000s, late 90s nostalgia, particularly if you come from a small town. Um, how did you remember all that stuff? Oh, look, I my regular Spotify playlist is mostly late 90s, early 2000s pop still. Um, I haven't been able to, to sort of grow up musically um, since that period of time. Um, and so I listened to a lot of music. I made playlists and and would listen to it while I was writing or planning what I was going to write um, and then looked at lots of photos of particularly the really horrendous clothes that we would wear um, just things that don't go together like really baggy pants and really tight sort of tops and you know terrible bleached hair and <laughs> uh, oh it was just yeah not good um, and it was it was actually really easy to go back to that time and how fun it was and and a little bit more innocent in some ways mm. in terms of the world. I don't know. As yeah. teenagers, we didn't sort of have 
endless access to how complex the world is and and um and like kids do now you know um we didn't have social media which i think was such you a good IC, thing thank ICQ. god we had icq which that i think when you described the sound that the icq <laughs> noise made that yep. i was like whoa yeah <laughs> immediately brought back it was it was great like it was this was obviously a very horrible time of my life but also it was incredible in terms of the pop culture and the music and the experiences and the clothes at the time and um you know the food uh, like mm. surviving on potato and gravy and yeah. uh, you know re-watching she's all that about 40 times <laughs> and yeah it was great i had yeah it was and i feel like so that, much fun that hasn't been portrayed really yet in popular culture we're not at a point where we're getting nostalgic yet about that era yeah so it was really wonderful to sort of oh, thanks. access that part yeah and it was there's important. so much material there yeah right yeah excruciating material oh. but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the lyrics of some of the songs it's actually really unsettling like yeah like pony i, I had never <laughs> fully listened to the actual lyrics of pony we used to play that at blue light discos at you know 11 and 12 like that's and parents just weren't uh, adults just no one was not listening paying attention. no <laughs> yeah very true hmm well, I, as I said, I could, I could keep talking about this book for ages, but we do have to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming in and signing a bunch of books for My us. My pleasure. Um, so you can get a copy of 14 at booktopia.com.au. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.